bow here before you. We are grateful for just the privilege to come together to worship and to study your word and just to fellowship together with other believers. We pray now, Lord, that as we go through the remainder of our service, that you would open up your word to us, show us things that maybe we need to know and need to hear, and that, Lord, we can forever be changed because of it. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? While these guys are taking their seats, let me remind you that the 101 class for uh, those that are looking to gain more information about our church is at 2 o'clock today. If you signed up for it, I know you're sitting there thinking right now, do I really want to go to this because it's awfully pretty outside and you're probably thinking of all kinds of reasons not to. Don't do it, okay? You come to the class. And as you come in the front door, it's the first hallway to the left. If you did not sign up and want to come, just come on. It doesn't matter. We'll meet there at 2 o'clock. And so that'll be happening then. And uh, come on and be a part of that. You know, we started this new series um, a couple of weeks ago. It's entitled, Lord, Please Leave Me Alone. And uh, some of you raised your eyebrows with that one because you weren't quite sure where I was going with this. But this is a study in the book of Jonah. And as we've seen for the past couple of weeks, God told Jonah. That he had a job for him and that he wanted him to go to this great city of Nineveh and preach. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go. We're going to talk about the reasons why he didn't want to go uh, in a week or so. Um, but just to suffice to say that he did not want to go and he ran as far away from God as he could. Last week we looked at how he was, um, what he said, what he did in the belly of the fish. Because God through a series of circumstances, he ended up, he, he was in the belly of a fish or a whale, whatever how you want to look at it. And from there he prayed and God gave him a second chance. Now here's the question I want to ask you, okay? If God told you to go to Nineveh, this wicked city where, you know, you, your life might be threatened and all of this, if God told you to go to Nineveh and tell them about him, would you go? Now, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up. And here's the catch, though. You have to be perfectly honest. Because nobody knows your heart but God, so don't be lying to God now, okay? But here's the question. If God told you to go to Nineveh, would you go? Raise your hand. All right. We've got a few people. They're probably lying, but I'm not going to say that. Anyway, here's another question. Okay, let's say, take Nineveh off the table here. If God told you to go to China, how many would go to China? All right. If God told you to go down to Huntsville on a prison weekend and preach the gospel, would you go? Well, now see, we've got all these hands and nobody ever signs up. Now what's the deal with that one, okay? If God told you to go to your next door neighbor and tell him about Jesus Christ, would you go? All right, here's the question. Do you think God isn't telling you that? I mean, oh, yeah, I'd go if he told me. Well, what, you know, what are you reading? Okay, here's the last one, and this is this one. If God told you to go to a family member and tell them about the Lord, would you go? Okay. It's, I think the same people are raising their hands each time, and God bless you. Um, but here's the question. Um, if you did not raise your hand and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, if God told me to go do these things, I wouldn't do it. And so here's the question, why not? Why not? 
Now, uh, there may be various reasons. Uh, I, you know, could name a few, but the, probably the, the one that is overriding all the others and the one big reason why you would not go, be it to Nineveh or across the street to talk to your neighbor, the reason you wouldn't do it is because you're afraid. And if you nailed it down and really got to looking at it closely, the question is, then what am I afraid of? And for the majority of us who would not raise our hands, what we are afraid of and what we fear the most is failure. We're scared to death that we would mess it up. We're scared to death that we might be asked something we couldn't answer or we'd say something that wasn't accurate. And we might be responsible for somebody being lost and in hell for eternity. And we just can't live with that. So there's no way I'm going to do it. And you'll be amazed at the number of people that really think that. If they knew that they could be successful in doing it, they would go. And it's not really the danger of it. It's not really any of that. Their biggest fear is that they would fail God. And that prevents them from speaking up. It prevents them to going, from going. Now today, here's what we're going to be looking at. The title of this message is The Power of a Simple Message. The power of this in a simple message. And well, I'll explain that as we go along. But if I can just get one person, if I can touch one person in here who didn't raise your hand, who might leave here with a different perspective and a different commitment, with a, a different vision for what God might do with them, then I have succeeded. I, you know, I don't anticipate changing the masses, but if I could just help one person to see the power of a simple message and what God is really asking you to do. I really believe that that would be a successful uh, time that I've spent preaching to you and teaching you this passage as we look at it. Let's jump right in because we're in chapter 3 this week. We're going to continue the story of Jonah. Here's the first verse in Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Now Jonah, if you'll recall, remember, Jonah has repented, you know, he's in the belly of the whale and God has had the fish or the whale vomit Jonah out on the shoreline. So there sits Jonah covered in, well, we'll call it whale puke for another better reason, you know, answer. To, you know, it's, it's got to be a nasty situation. I can't even imagine what it was like, but there he is. And here we are in verse 1 because here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So there it is. A second time now, God has come to Jonah. He said, now here's your second chance. I want you to go to Nineveh. Are you going to go or not? And Jonah says, absolutely. What I told you I would do, I'm going to follow through on, so I'm going to go. Now, it's important to note something. This idea of the second chance, okay? Because God has given him again a second chance. And we all need sometimes a second chance. And, and think of this. If you're sitting there this morning and you didn't raise your hand or you're not willing to go, you have no, no desire to talk to anybody about their spiritual life or about salvation, then consider the possibility that what I'm talking to you today and what I say to you today and what you see in Scripture just might be a second chance, okay? It might be God's way of saying you get another chance to change that. Now, the message that I give you is what he's telling him to proclaim. Nowhere in here do you find God telling Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim this message to these people and you had better convince them 
You see, he never said that. He never said you have to convince these people or that their eternal destiny lies on your shoulders and Jonah, you better not mess it up or Jonah, it's all on you. He never said any of that. He said one simple thing. Now, Jonah, you go into this great city of Nineveh and you preach the message that I give to you. And it's really no different than it is today. Because what God is saying to you and me, whether it be going to Russia or China or across the street to your neighbor, is the same thing. That you and I have the responsibility, we've had the calling on our lives to preach the same simple message. And that's so important that we understand that. Now, look with me in verses 3 and 4. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So let me tell you just a little bit about this. Nineveh is, we know where it is. They've, they've excavated the old city of Nineveh. They found the outer walls. They've even started trying to restore some of it. It is in what we uh, now know as Iraq. And if you were to measure the city within the walls of Nineveh, the old Nineveh, you've got a city approximately four miles long and two to three miles wide. It encompassed the city. The walls are that long. Now, we know from the next chapter we're going to see that there were 120,000 people that lived in that area four miles long and two or three miles wide. Let me give you some perspective, okay? If you take all of Henderson County and you took the population of Henderson County, that's the entire county, you've got a little over 80,000 people. That's how many are in Henderson County. If you add another 40,000 to that and plop them into an area four miles long and three miles wide, you can imagine how congested the city is. But it was a booming metropolis. The homes were built in, in a way in which there are several levels. People were living in what we call apartment-style living. And it was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It was a big, great city in that day. And so he goes into the city, and it says here that it takes him three days to complete the task. Three days of preaching the simple message. And here it is, the simple message that God gave to Jonah to share with the people. It's very simple. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all. Now, I don't know what all he told them. I don't know whether he answered questions. I don't know whether they asked him things or whether he explained about being swallowed by the whale. We don't really know any of that. All we know is the message that God said, I want you to go and tell these people is this very simple message. Forty more days and your city will be overthrown. Now, I think that totals up to eight words. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. All of this stuff that you've put me through, God, for eight simple words, that's all you want me to proclaim. And yeah, that was basically it. You go tell these people that I have told you to tell them that in 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. So he did. He went through the city for three days and he preached that message. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what took place and what happened. What was the result of that? In verse 5, he tells you just a general overview. So this is what happened. And then in the remaining verses, he explains it. In verse 5, he says this. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So what is really taking place here? 
Well, he goes through the city proclaiming this message, and lo and behold, they believed it. Who would have thought? You know, who would have thought they would have believed seven or eight simple words that God said, your city is going to be overthrown in 40 days? But they did. And it says here that they put on sackcloth. Now this is, in the ancient world, a traditional way of showing that you are asking for forgiveness. Uh, someone who has hurt an individual would go sit outside their home, put on a, a toe sack, basically, a potato sack, you know, uh, a burlap, and, and sit outside in a heap of ashes as an as a act of contrition, as an act of humility. And they would basically be saying to the individual that they've offended, I, I'm sorry, and, and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. And they did the same thing in the Old Testament when they were pleading with God for forgiveness as well. Now these people in Nineveh are doing that. And it goes on to say, now watch in verse 6, it says, when, John, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now this is the king of the, one of the most powerful cities in the, the controlling empire in the known world at that time, the Assyrian Empire. And it says in verse 7, this is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. This is what the king says to do. Here's what it is. Now watch. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and have compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of the most remarkable things I find in the Old Testament. Because the king, it doesn't say, had any interaction with Jonah. It doesn't tell us that. It says when the king heard about it. When the king heard the message and it reached his ears that he ordered this to be done. All right, now guys, you've you got to think this through with me, okay? What in the world is going on that a prophet can go into a city that is wicked as, as, as far away from God as Nineveh is and go in with a message that is so simple that it's only eight words long and go in and proclaim that for three days in the city and from the king on down... They cover everyone in sackcloth and sit in ashes, even the animals. And they repent before God and ask for his forgiveness. What is going on? And here it is. There's no other way of looking at it. There's no other answer. Then when God sent Jonah into the land of Nineveh to preach, God had already worked on their hearts. And God had already prepared them. And when Jonah went into that city and began to preach this simple message, the message that the Holy Spirit took and pierced the hearts of these people, the message itself is what changed the people. It wasn't Jonah. Jonah didn't even want to be there. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it, it was the message itself. The simple eight words pierced their hearts because God took the message and did his work in the hearts of, this, of those people. And this speaks volumes because, see, the very thing that you and I are scared to death of is the very thing that God says, I'm going to take care of. 
And it says here in the last verse, in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God said, no, I'll, I'll stay my hand of, of judgment. And he didn't do it. Only because they repented this way. Now here's the point that I want you to drive home here, okay? And I want you to get this. The point of what we're talking about in this story, and that is this. The power is in the message, not in the speaker. The power is in the message, not in the speaker. Now guys, this is so important. Because the very thing that prevented you from raising your hand at the first of this message, the very thing that is in your heart right now that you're saying to yourself, I would never do that. I would never go anywhere to proclaim the gospel. I wouldn't even walk across the street to tell somebody because I'm scared to death. Your way of thinking is all wrong. And here's the reason why. Because you think it depends on you. You think it all is on your shoulders. You think that if anybody's going to change, if anybody's going to come to Christ, if anybody's going to be saved, if this message is going to have any impact, then I've got to be able to answer all their questions. I've got to know the right answers. I've got to know things that, that I'm going to have to study. And, and I, I just I don't feel confident. I'm scared to death and I'm not going to do it. And God is saying to you and me, in this example and other examples in Scripture, that it's not about you. It's about me. And I'm the one that's going to do it because without my spirit, nobody's going to ever respond. And so my spirit going before you and taking the simple message that you proclaim is going to change lives, melt hearts, and restore in ways you cannot imagine. And the power is in the message. And that's what we've got to understand. We've got to drive this home. Because if the power is in the message, and I'm not responsible for that message other than to proclaim it, then yeah, I can do that. See, we're much more willing to do that. Let me read you this verse. It's in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Now Paul's talking, and here's what he says. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, the gospel, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now notice what he's saying. He said, I'm not going to cower back. I'm not going to be one of these people that won't speak up. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for fear of what people might think because I've come to understand this. I've seen it firsthand. He says, the power that's going to change people, the power that's going to save people, it's in the gospel itself. You see, it's in the message. And when you and I have the boldness and the courage and are stepping out in obedience to proclaim it, then the Holy Spirit takes the message and then he breaks the hearts of people. He convinces them that it's real. And guys, I'm going to tell you, because some of you know this from experience, as I do, there have been times in my life where I have brought to the situation my education, my years of experience, my being able to answer questions in the message that I proclaim flopped. Because you see, I had this idea that somehow I was doing it. And that I'd gotten so good at it that people are just going to fall down and be saved all around me. Until I came to the realization that I really didn't have that power or that ability. 
and that this is a spiritual message and that unless something spiritually takes place, then it's not going to work. And so there have been times in my life where I just let go and let God. When I've just basically said to him, God, if something's going to change, then you're going to have to do it. And he did. And I've seen simple messages that are, were preached or taught in, in erratic form with, without not having put much thought in it, thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what a mess. And I've seen people changed. I've seen people saved. Because you see, the power is in the message. And you and I have got to know that. We've got to always keep that in mind because that takes every bit of fear out of it. If I understand that, then it, that it's not me, that I don't have to worry about having all the answers. Now, we, sure, we study. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. And that's a good thing, but don't let that stop you. Don't let that prevent you from proclaiming the truth of, of what Scripture says. Because the power is in that message. Now watch, I want to show you some things here. Four things that are true because of this. Because the power is in the message and not the speaker. Listen. God can even use a disobedient person. Do you hear me? God can even use a disobedient person, a sinful Christian, a wayward Christian, to proclaim his message because the power's in the message and not the person. Therefore, it works. Jonah was about as far away from God as he could be. He had tried to go to the ends of the earth, and God wouldn't let him off the hook. I'm using you. And so he brings him back and he uses him. How many times over my ministry and through my life, through my education and years in Bible college, that I've heard this statement? That God can only use a clean vessel. God can only use somebody that has their spiritual act together. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. It's not true. Because God does want us clean. God does want us obedient. And all these things, I'm not minimizing that. But if you sit back in your life thinking that God couldn't possibly use me, because of something in my life that I've got to get straightened out, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to straighten something out with this false impression that in order for God to use me, it can't happen until I get this corrected in my life. And God says, hey, look, look at Scripture and the examples that I've given you, okay? Because the message is the key component here and the power's on that, it doesn't matter. I can use you. Look at Jonah. Look at David. King David was a murderer and an adulterer and had so many things going wrong in his life. And yet God used him. Look at Paul, the great persecutor of the church. Yet God used him. Paul was on his way. He had no inclination. He had no desire to serve God. I mean, in, in, uh, in the Christian sense. He was hell-bent on killing them as fast as he could. He was on his way to Damascus to do it. God knocked him off his horse and said, i got other plans for you, and I can use you. Clean vessel? I don't think so. Peter stands up and denies Christ, curses, and says, I don't know that man. God said, I'm going to use you. We're going to turn the world upside down. And he did. And time after time after time, you see God using people who don't have it all together. And you need to know that. And you need to remind yourself that the message is the power. 
if I will just teach it, if I will just speak it, if I will just proclaim it. God will do wonders in the lives of people. He really will. But here's the second thing that I want you to see. Because the power is in the message and not the speaker, God can even use a reluctant person. God can even use a reluctant person. So this is important, okay? Do you know that even after Jonah got out of the belly of the whale, he still didn't want to go to Nineveh? You don't find that out till the next chapter. But Jonah got mad. When all of Nineveh repented, Jonah got mad because he didn't want them to. He hated them. He didn't like them. They were enemies of Israel. He didn't want anything to do with them. We're going to talk about that at length. But right now, just to know that, hey, look, he went, he was reluctant, but yet God used him anyway. You're sitting there saying to yourself, wait a minute, you asked me if I want to go to, to prison or if I want to go to this country or if I even want to go across the street to proclaim the gospel to somebody, and i got to tell you, I really don't. I'm about as reluctant as I can possibly be, and I don't want to do it. Well, i got news for you. God says I can use you anyway. Okay? And that's the beauty of this. Because God says I can use you whether you want to go or not. Too many of us as believers are, are, are gauging whether we speak the truth or, or preach the gospel or proclaim it. And we're gauging it on this. I just don't have a burning desire to do that, Pastor. I don't care. You know, God says, come on anyway. And you can be reluctant, and it's okay, because most of the prophets in the Old Testament were all reluctant to go, but they went. And even in that, the going part is part of your growth process. That's how God trains you. So stop waiting until you got your act together. Stop saying, I got to wait till I really am moved. No, you don't. You know, in your heart, God has already laid that person on your heart. You have a desire. You know. You see, you know. Here's the third thing. Because the power of the message is in the message and not the speaker, God can even use the most unlikely person. You look at Scripture. You find God saying to Moses, I'm going to use you to build this nation and lead them into where I want them to go. And Moses said, I can't even talk. You know, most theologians believe that Moses couldn't, wasn't that he was afraid to talk publicly. He had a speech impediment. It could be a possibility that Moses stuttered. It's the reason God said, then take your brother Aaron and he'll do the speaking for you. Okay, so God takes a stutterer to be the, become the greatest figure in the Old Testament? Absolutely. He did it. Because God says, I can use you, no matter who you are. Think about Paul. Paul was about the most opposite of all the other apostles. Most unlikely candidate to be proclaiming Christ. But yet God says, no, I want you. Peter, uneducated fisherman. And God said, no, I'm going to use you. All of the men and women that God used in the Bible were the most unlikely candidates. Rahab was a prostitute. There were figures, at one figure after another throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament too, where God chose to use them and they were the most unlikely. You are without excuse because you being the most unlikely candidate in your mind, God says, no, I want you. I want you. And if you will just come to the realization 
powers in the message of Matthew. You see, even though the power is in the message and not the speaker, God can even use you. He can. And you look at yourself and you think to yourself, there's so many more qualified people. There's so many better people. There's so many stronger Christians. And God says, no, I want you. Because this is important work. Kingdom business. And when I take you, the most unlikely, and I put my spirit in, in you in a way that you cannot imagine, you're overwhelmed with that power. And that message is energized by the Spirit of God. Oh, God works miracles. God works miracles. You and I are without excuse. Do you understand that? Nobody has an excuse when standing before God and saying to God, I don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. You just have to learn where the power is. Here's a challenge I'm going to leave you with, okay? It's in three parts, three things that I want you to do. Here's number one. Listen. Determine who your Nineveh is. Who is it in your life that God has impressed upon you? God has already given you a love for this person, a concern for this person. God has already said to you, and, and you are feeling it, that I care whether that person goes to hell. I have a fear that they may not know Jesus Christ. I have a burden for that person. It has already happened because I know that that's what God does. And so you have to determine who that person is. And it may be somebody that you work with. It may be somebody that you're in school with. It may be somebody that is a family member. It might be somebody that's in prison. It might be somebody that's of the opposite race. It might be somebody that's in an area of life and into things that you are so, it just isn't you. And for you to be involved in their life would be you out of your comfort zone. But God says, that's where I want you. I don't know what it is. Somebody that you know that God has impressed upon you needs love. They need to know what the truth is. And only you know that. Over the years of my life, there have been times when God has impressed people upon me that I just could not get out of my mind. There was a concern. They were always on my mind, and I'm worried about them. When I first went to Bible college, this was back in mid-70s, long time ago, I was concerned about my family. I had grandparents that I, one said I had a decent relationship with, the other one a fairly good one uh, with, Loved them all dearly, but just did not know spiritually where they were. And like most people who are scared to death to talk to their family, I was scared to death to talk to my grandparents. Afraid that I'd mess it up, afraid that I wouldn't know what to say, afraid they would look at me as, yeah, that's just little Dave, you know. Here's what I did. I wrote them a letter. And in that letter, I just poured out my heart to them. I told them that I loved them and I reminded them of things that, that were important to me when we grew up and how they had loved me. And, and I just told them, I said, as you know, I'm in Bible college and I'm learning things and here's one of the things that I've learned. And then I went right into the grace of God and the gospel. And I said, I, I, I just am telling, telling you the truth. 
from my heart, I don't want you to be lost. And I sent it to them. I got the feedback was, you know, they appreciated the letter and don't worry about them, that sort of thing. And I, I don't know. I have a feeling that they were believers. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe God's laid somebody on your heart and the best thing that you can do right now is just to write them a letter and pour out your heart in that letter. And maybe that'll open the door for you to talk. But anyway, you have to determine who your Nineveh is. Who, who is it that you're running away from? Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to make a plan. Like I said, you can write the letter, you can do something else, but have a plan. What are you going to do to reach them? And the third thing is to take the first step. To take the step. Do something. For years I have heard people say, I'm really concerned about my friend here. I'm really concerned about my relative there. I'm concerned about this. And we pray for them. But nobody ever says anything. And there has to come a point in time where you bite the bullet, where you come to the realization that God wants them to hear this message, and you need to understand it doesn't depend on you to save them. Just be faithful and proclaim the message. I believe there's a blessing waiting. I really do. For every person that has the courage to step out and to say, I'll, I'll go, Lord. Give me a second chance because I'll go. And I'll tell them. And it may not be pretty. I may not do it eloquently, but I will go. And you'll be amazed at how God will use that. You really will. But it depends on you. You have to take that step. And that's my encouragement. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. Don't be afraid of something that isn't real. Have the courage to step out and do it. So what is the message? What is the message? It is as simple as the one that Jonah preached. You want to see the message? Let me show it to you. In John chapter 6, verse 47, look at what it says. Jesus is speaking, he's preaching, and he says this. He says, very truly I tell you. Now here's the message. The one who believes has eternal life. Seven words. It's more brief than Jonah's message was. It is as simple as it gets. That when you go and talk to somebody, the only thing that you have to convey is this, that you are lost and that Jesus has died for you and the one who believes has, right now, has eternal life. It's that simple. And guys, it's not that hard. And you walk away from there with the understanding that God's going to have to take that message and work in their lives because you can't. There's nothing else you can do. You can't impress them with your ability to answer questions because you really can't. I've never been able to answer all the questions people ask. You can't impress them with your speaking ability. You just speak the word. And God takes that message and does miraculous things. Now, guys, one or two of you may be sitting in here this morning and not know that. You may not know this message. 
As you sit there today, let me ask you this question. If you were to die right now, what would happen to you? Do you know the answer to the question? You say, well, I hope so. I think so. I, you know, I've done this. I've done that. Then let me explain something to you. That the Bible says that you and I are sinners. We always have been. And that as a sinner, we are lost forever. But that God loves you. Do you understand that? God loves you. Just the way you are, he still loves you. God never said to clean up your act and I'll love you. He said, I love you now. And I sent my son to die on a cross for you. And all the pain and the anger and the wrath that I have stored up for you because you're a sinner, I, I poured it out on him. And I don't have any more for you now. It's all done. It's over. And when you put your faith in that, that sacrifice, that person, Jesus Christ, then I give you the gift eternal life. That's the gospel message. This is why it says this so simply, the one who believes has eternal life. Will you believe it? Let's bow our heads for a moment, okay? And if you're sitting here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then do it now. Do it right now today. Believe that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you. And that by believing, God gives you life, eternal. And it begins right now. It's that simple. For the rest of us, I want to challenge you. I want to beg you to please come to the understanding that God wants to use you. And he's not holding you accountable for the results. He's holding you accountable to step out and speak the word. The simple message, the power lies in the message. Proclaim it, can you? Just tell somebody. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we're convicted because we know the areas of our life where we have failed to, to step up and to tell people. Father, forgive us. We've been afraid. We have felt uh, responsible. We've run away from it like Jonah did. But Father, I ask and, and I'm, I'm pleading for all of us that we would have the courage, the understanding to know that it all is your work and it's all you. Help us to be bold. Help us to be faithful to do it. Do not worry about the results. Just leave them with you. Let you handle the results. But for us, just use us. Father, that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.